This is Good Faith Effort with Ari Lam. And here's your host, Rabbi Dr. Ari Lam. Hello, hello, and welcome to Good Faith Effort, the world's most dangerous Bible podcast, the podcast where we show you how the values and ideas of the Bible can illuminate the most important conversations in society, from politics to pop culture and beyond. Good Faith Fam! We have an amazing episode today. We're speaking to Alex Jones, the founder of one of the coolest startups in the faith and religion space, bar none, Hallow. And to set things up, I want to say something about the book of Deuteronomy, which we're starting to talk about this week. So Deuteronomy records the last words of Moses, delivered over the course of a month to the Israelites as they're about to cross over the Jordan River and enter into the Promised Land. And it's so fascinating to me precisely because it's the biblical book that should never have happened. When God takes the Israelites out of Egypt, the plan for them was to head to Mount Sinai and receive the law. It's the book of Exodus. Learn what's in the law, the book of Leviticus, and then travel right to the promised land. That's what the book of Numbers should have been about. But instead, the Israelites sin terribly against God. They complain again and again. And eventually it becomes clear that spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, this generation of Israelites was strong and resilient enough to escape Egypt. But they weren't the right generation to build a new society in the promised land. So whatever it was, maybe they had too much of that downtrodden mentality in them. They just weren't right for it. But their kids, on the other hand, well, their kids had a chance. This was a generation that wasn't scarred from Egypt. It was ready for new challenges. And so that's how Moses, the last of this old generation, finds himself standing before the gathered Israelites, every single one, at least half his age, if not younger. And he teaches them what they need to know before he leaves them in the hands of his successor, Joshua. And this is really important to remember because usually what you hear about Deuteronomy is that it's just like a recapitulation of the previous books of Moses, right? I mean, the word Deuteronomy literally just means the second law or the law all over again. But while it does overlap with the other books, it's got tons of new stuff, especially in terms of building a society, forming and running a government, how to build and live lives in cities, how to behave as a people rather than just a collection of tribes. In other words, at the same time that Moses is telling this new generation how to live according to the values, traditions, and responsibilities of the old generation, he was charging them with building new things, society, culture, government, that their ancestors had actually never dreamed of. So in other words, this was the first generation ever that had to take the eternal values of the Bible and actually apply them to new circumstances using new technologies, new techniques. And ultimately, that's the greatest opportunity God gives any individual or society, the chance to take the values of the past and make them alive in securing the promise of the future. And that's the lesson of Deuteronomy. And it seems to me that there's probably never been a better time in history than right now for doing that. Tech has brought many woes upon society. I know that's the fashionable thing to say, but the blessings of this kind of technological advance have given us the ability to reach more people in more creative, virtuous, wholesome ways than at any time since the revelation at Sinai. And I mean, that's pretty amazing. And so to talk about all this, I brought on someone who's actually doing it, who's out there building new things in the faith space, which is ultimately the most exciting space that there is. He's the founder and CEO of Hallow, the Catholic prayer app, the number one Catholic app out there. Alex Jones is here. Alex, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. So I want to talk about Hallow and what it is and what you guys are doing, but I actually want to start with you. On the Hallow site, one of the things that I find most fascinating is that I guess there's like this stereotype out there nurtured on shows, which I love, like Silicon Valley, where people in tech or in startups are kind of like these meatheads or tech bros. Uh, but then you go out and you read 
stuff from folks like Trey Stevens at Anderl Industries, who's kind of writing about Augustine and the laws of war. And then you read stuff from you where you're talking about David Hume and you're talking about epistemology. And I mean, it's like amazing. So you have a personal story of what led you to not just wanting to work in this space, but actually what led you to taking faith seriously in the first place. So what's that story like? Where do you start and where are you now on the journey? Definitely still at the very beginning, but <laughs> I guess the short version of the story, and I am by no means a philosopher or theologian or, or any of that stuff, so I can talk about Hume, but only a little bit. But The good thing about faith and the intellect is that it's for us all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was raised Catholic in the sense that my mom dragged me to Mass, and that was about the extent to which I engaged with my faith or wrestled with it or any of that stuff. And I grew up you know, went to school and none of my friends took their faith seriously. And it's just the assumption that faith was kind of this thing that our parents did and they did it because their parents did it. And we now have science and we know better. And so science is what we trust, not faith. And it wasn't really anything that I actually wrestled with. It was just kind of the assumption as I progressed into the ability to reason. So like through high school and college, I probably would have called myself agnostic or atheist for most of that time. I was still connected to the church because, you know, my mom and when I would come home, I would still go to church and all that stuff, but probably would have called myself agnostic or atheist. Definitely was not a not a major part of my life. Didn't really think about it. But when I graduated and started working, two somewhat interesting things happened in parallel. One was I thought I was an adult, so I was supposed to figure out what I actually believed. And so I figured I should try to learn some stuff and read some stuff. And so I did some C.S. Lewis, did a little bit of philosophy here and there. And, you know, I could never really like figure out, okay, this is the right answer. I figured it out based off of just thinking through it that there's a God. But I uh, was convinced enough to say, okay, there's some reasonable people, a heck of a lot smarter than I am, who have thought about this on both sides. The issue with me was I would listen to like a Sam Harris or an atheist argument, and then I'd read a C.S. Lewis or something on the other side, and I'd be convinced depending on who I listened to most recently. And I was like, all right, this isn't a super effective way to figure out what I believe. And then in parallel to all this, I thought pretty disconnected. I was pretty fascinated with this idea of meditation. And this was a while ago. So when I thought of meditation, and this is kind of the sad story in today's world, I did not think of kind of the the ancient Christian Jewish forms of meditation. I thought of Eastern traditions of meditation or secular mindfulness and, and yoga meditation. And it was the really early days of an app called Headspace and Calm, which are secular meditation apps. Um, and so I found Headspace and I was going to go to India for a couple of weeks to try to learn how to meditate. But I found Headspace, uh, which was a great app, and I used it. Uh, every day for a while. And I thought it was a, a great tool, like a really useful way to learn this technique of meditation that's rooted in Buddhism, but uh, is kind of has been secularized in the form of mindfulness meditation. But it was a really awesome way to learn this tool. The weirdest thing, though, started happening, which was every time I would meditate, and like most of my life, I would spend either thinking about work or what I was supposed to do or relationships or, or worries or distracting myself with YouTube or Netflix. And as soon as I would meditate and focus on something, my mind would feel pulled towards something spiritual. And it was weird. It was something different every time, usually to do with the Trinity or the Holy Spirit or Christ or something like that. But I still wouldn't have considered my faith an important part of who I was. So it was a very strange experience. So I started talking to priests, brothers, sisters, folks who I knew who were further along in their faith journey, kind of asking this question, hey, is there any intersection here between this meditation thing and this faith thing? And Pretty much everybody I talked to laughed at me and said, yeah, we've been doing this for thousands of years at a minimum. Uh, it's called prayer. You probably should have heard about it by now. <laughs> and 
I uh it's a thing. Not a great branding <laughs> department, but it's a thing. <laughs> and I had obviously heard of prayer, right? Growing up Catholic in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or the things that I had memorized, or like the, hey, thanks for stuff, sorry for stuff, help me with stuff, and then listing off what I was grateful for, what I needed help with, and petitionary prayer and all that stuff. So I had heard of that, but every time I had tried to pray in the past, and I had tried on and off, it either just felt like I was going through the motions or that I was just talking to myself, just journaling in my own head. There was never like a two-way communication of any sort. And I started learning about kind of this wealth of really deep and beautiful contemplative and meditative techniques within the church. So St. Teresa of Avila is a really great Christian mystic, St. John of the Cross. There's a bunch of Benedictine spirituality, Dominican spirituality, Ignatian spirituality. There's the examine, Lexio Divina, chant. There's this huge wealth within the church of these really powerful ways to meditate and pray. And I tried one, one day, Googled how to do Lexia Divina, which is a form of meditating on scripture. You pick a word or phrase from scripture and you meditate on it, use that to start a conversation with God. But I randomly opened up scripture. It was Christ teaching the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And hallow was the word that stuck out to me, which I'd never really thought about that word before, or even that line of that prayer. And I meditated on it for, you know, just 10, 20 minutes or so, but that experience changed my life. It brought me to tears, brought me back to my faith, changed everything about what I value. My Catholic faith is the most important part of who I am today. Obviously, it's what we're working on at Hallow, but and it's really hard as any real prayer experience is to put into words. But I think in mindfulness meditation and secular meditation, you have the pitch of like, hey, this is going to reduce your stress. And you feel that same when you're praying. You feel this sense of peace. I would argue a deeper sense of peace, but you feel that same sense of peace and stress reduction. But it, it was combined with this really deep sense of meaning. So Hallow, what does that mean? It means to make holy. Is Jesus making God the Father's name holy? Is God trying to make my life holy? Am I letting him make my life holy? Am I growing in virtue? Am I helping other people grow in virtue? And like really life questions for me that usually would be pretty stressful. But I was wrestling with it in this sense of peace, which is this, uh, it was just this fascinating experience for me. And then it really did feel like there was another side, like there was something that I wasn't alone. And actually it's a, you know, when you really meditate, um, and I was in Silicon Valley for a while, and you talk to anybody who meditates, and you ask them, hey, when you meditate, you're focused on, you know, in mindfulness meditation, it's usually just the breath, but you're focused on the breath for a while, and no other people are in the room. Are you alone? Almost everyone will say, no, I'm not alone. There's something else there. I don't know what it is, but there's something else there. And, and for me, it's been very clear, at least in my own experience, that that is Christ in the Trinity. So that has changed my own life. Hallow the idea for it is a pretty obvious idea from there, right? I had been using this meditation app, which I had enjoyed. I was going to use for a while in Headspace. And then I had discovered this life-changing new content and this new spirituality that uh, I was going to need to do for the rest of my life. So I might as well try to build something. I had come from an engineering background, so knew a little bit of how to code. And so we built a first version of it. And it's it's just been really cool. The intersection of faith and tech is just a blast because you get to work on all the really fun things that Silicon Valley gets to work on and trying to build really great tech. But at the end of the day, God's in charge and you just, you know, it's it's a lot less stressful because it's like, hey, this, if this thing works, if we're able to reach folks and to connect with your word, then that's great. It's hopefully your will. And if it doesn't work out, then it's your will too. So we'll, we'll go with that. But it's, it's just a, been an awesome journey to be able to grow in my own spiritual life over the last three or so years, along with kind of our community of Hallow folks on the app. There's so much in what you just said that I want to dig into, like 17 different things. We'll try in the limited time we have to get to all of them. But where I want to start is that last thing that you just said, which is it's so amazing to be in Silicon Valley and get to work on, you know, all this cool visionary stuff. I actually think what Silicon Valley runs on 
And what ultimately society, any good society, any real society that's been successful, what it needs to flourish is some sort of eschatology. It needs some sense that it's actually moving forward towards a goal. And what religion does, particularly biblical religion, which introduced eschatology to the world, what it says is that we are all participating in the drama of moving society forward towards something transformative. We're doing it in partnership with the implacable force in the universe, with God. And so we actually have a way forward. We know what we're moving towards. I think one of the failures, let's say, not a failure, but sort of a challenge that sort of contemporary American society in 2021 has is that because it doesn't fundamentally, because it's a sort of like a procedural project and it has a very hard time fundamentally articulating what it believes in, because its virtue is that it's trying to provide space for lots of people to believe lots of different things, which is, which is a virtue. It has a hard time saying what it believes in. So ultimately, America has a challenge with buying into the eschatological energy that it needs to move forward, which is why any great thing that America has done, whether it's fighting a civil war, whether it's the civil rights movement, has always um, has always been nourished by the other great engine and equal but opposing force within American life, which is religion and faith and biblical faith in particular. So Martin Luther King Jr. arguing that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. You know, he often gets dismissed in that respect as, oh, it's just magical thinking. Of course it was magical thinking. He was a religious man. He was a reverend. He was drawing that idea from biblical eschatology. So I feel like the problem we have now is that because liberal society has a, has a hard time committing to eschatology, all that it can have is protology, is the sense that, well, things were once great, things were once good back in the day, and we just want to return to that. We want to be at home with nature. We want to be at peace with nature uncorrupted by human presence and, and endeavor. I feel like that's a lot of what's driving sort of the mindfulness movement and the wellness movement. It's all protology. It's all looking backwards and trying to recover something. And I think it's just like a failure of nerve. It's because we don't have a way to do eschatology, so we retreat to protology, looking back. You know, Peter Thiel has this great observation that the story of the Bible is fundamentally begins with a garden and ends with a city. I think that's a great expression of the eschatological energy that drives both religion and Silicon Valley, which is why I think Silicon Valley and, you know, tech and tradition are such natural partners. But what this gets me back to, what you're doing fundamentally is just leaning all the way in to that natural partnership. You're saying, yes, Silicon Valley has these eschatological leanings and this energy of moving forward, of pushing forward to a transformative world. And faith is sort of the natural vessel and partner for that. So, you know, when you're building something cool and exciting, like Hallow in Silicon Valley, my question for you is, I feel like most people would assume that you're kind of living in tension. Because on the one hand, you have faith, and the other hand, there's tech. And those things are always presumed, or at least in the conventional popular wisdom, assumed to be intention. So is that something that you experience as a tension? Or is it something that you experience as kind of a natural partnership because you're living out this eschatological vision, both on the technical end and on the, the values end? Like, how do you experience it? Yeah, I like the framing of that a lot. I mean, I personally experience no tension. Silicon Valley is maybe not the hotbed of Catholics in the world. So it's, you know, and, and when we were talking to... They are, they just don't this, know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is actually, it's kind of fun because you feel like you're part of like a kind of rebel underground church, um, which is, you know, kind of makes it, your faith a bit stronger than kind of like the the Midwest where everybody goes to goes to church. You don't really have to wrestle with it. But I think your point is a really interesting one, which is there's a lot of things that 
I hear, especially in being in a lot of founder communities, of things that are just really easy for me, which is, you know, Silicon Valley is obsessed with, you know, you want to have kind of a mission-driven company. You want to have a company that's working towards some exciting mission, some end goal that everybody can get excited about. You want to have a set of values that are unique and differentiated that you actually hold true to and all the stuff that you try to have to build a to build a company. And one of the things I was talking to a couple founders a few months ago. You know, the only real way to start a company because it's it's a decently stressful job. You're working with folks. You feel like folks are dependent on you. Is to have something bigger than yourself. To have something outside of yourself. And so it's not just you and your success. It's you know whatever the mission is that you're working towards. And for us, it's just really easy because the mission and the values are already written down. We don't have to come up with them. Scripture are the values, and the mission is just to do God's will. And it's not our own, just to do whatever we think God is asking us to do and to help everybody else to try to do that same thing. We had a handful of conversations with folks when we were originally coming up with the idea or talking about the idea. Somebody said, you know, you should start your own religion. Why stick to the Catholic Church, all this jazz? And, you know, for me, that's always been a really easy answer because it's like, wow, this is the stuff that changed my own life. I'm going to try to share this with the world. It's not my goal to share Buddhism or Hinduism with the world because that's not the stuff that changed my own life. Christ is. And so my goal is to try to share him with as many people as I can. But the mission, the having something bigger than yourself and the values and, and trying to push to create something beautiful that's really easy to use, that reaches a bunch of people in a super seamless way. There's a bunch of things that Silicon Valley, I think, has that are right. Like you want a job that's pushing towards something, that's pushing towards some mission, that has some sense of value. You're trying to create something great, move really quickly, have big, hairy, audacious goals. And those are the things that I think fit really well within a religious context. So it's been really easy and really natural for us Like when we come up with, what's our vision? How do we get people excited about what we're doing? It's really easy. We're just trying to do what the church is trying to do and use really great technology to do it. And I think that just the connections there make it a lot easier for us from our side, at least. You know, what that reminds me of is this wonderful line from the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, where he says, science takes things apart to see how they work. Religion puts them back together to see what they mean. And to me, what that says is, in order to make sense of a system, or I think kind of where scientism, the new atheism, and old paganism kind of unite conceptually is that they're all trying to explain the why of the world from within the system, which is fundamentally kind of like a fruitless exercise. It would be like, if you want to know how basketball works, you go to a basketball game and watch, and you'll figure it out. You can kind of inductively figure out what that means. If you want to know why basketball matters to people, you actually couldn't figure that out just by watching a basketball game. You'd have to appeal to things like loyalty, competitiveness, athleticism, partisanship, nationality, chosenness. I and mean, you have to appeal to all these concepts outside basketball to make it work. It seems to me like the same thing is true here. But I think what you guys have hit on with Hallow and your particular focus on prayer is that I think there's this sort of deeply wrong conventional wisdom about religion, which is that religion ultimately is about making truth claims. And therefore, it's in fundamental tension with science or whatever. That always seemed to me kind of like, of course, religion does make truth claims, but that's like the most boring part of religion is the truth claims. The most important and at a personal everyday level, exciting and effervescent things about religion is the relationships that it creates between you and other creations, you know, you and other creatures of God and individuals and societies and God. Relationships are the basis for community, ultimately the basis for human flourishing. And what prayer does in a way that even doctrine, as critical and important as it is, does not, is it's a dialogue rather than a monologue. 
And it seems to me that the greatest challenge that contemporary society, certainly in America, arguably throughout the West, faces today is that we've spent so long arguing with each other over truths, whether they're politically coded Democrats and Republicans or Tories and labor, or whether they're kind of like procedurally coded like science versus religion or whatever. We've gotten so lost in arguing about truth claims that we've let community and relationships disintegrate in the meantime. So I kind of see hallow in the relationship space rather than in the truth. Obviously, you guys are sort of premised on on truth claims. But as you said, you're not a Buddhism app, right? You're not a Judaism app. You guys are a Catholic app. And ultimately, what you're doing is helping people create relationships and community with each other and relationships with God. So, so first of all, does that resonate with you at all? And whether it does or doesn't, How do you take a vision that's thousands of years old or values that are thousands of years old and build software for it, right? Like you have to solve a problem. So how how do you take whatever your vision and mission is and actually build something for it? Yeah, there's a handful of things you said that I wanted to build off real quick, and then we'll definitely get to the how do you build something new. But the big difference that I think even in secular society is, and I think you've talked about this before, but is the difference in folks' minds between religiousness and spirituality. And I think it speaks a little bit to spirituality if you just broadly talk about it as your relationship with the uh, people who don't believe in God probably wouldn't use the word God, but I will. But your relationship with with something greater. We like God on this podcast, as I've said yeah. many times before. The, the, um, <laughs> yeah, so do, so do I. I'm biased. The, um, but I mean, the the interesting thing about that is I really think to your point, most people think about religion as like, hey, the Catholic Church has these stances on these hot-button political issues, and those either do or don't align with whatever political party I affiliate with or my belief system or whatever. And that's the theological teachings of the church and of different religions is a super important part of it. And I think there's a bunch of folks doing really great work to say, hey, let's not dumb down the theology here. Let's let's talk about real theology at a deep level. I think you do a great job of this. And let's engage with it and let's let's talk about it intellectually. But at the same time, which is really the truth of faith, like what truth does faith bring? But I think there's an equal and just as important, if not more important aspect of it, which is peace and the peace that faith can bring. And I think that's through the spirituality of faith. And if you look at any of the studies where everybody says, hey, the number of people who identify as religious is down, the number of church members is down below 50% or any of that stuff. The interesting thing, whenever the spirituality is added as an option to those surveys, I think oh, the yeah. key one says like 2012 to 2017, religiousness fell from 65 to 55, which is crazy in five years. But atheism and agnosticism stayed at like three and 4% uh, yep. respectively. It's whatever spiritual but not religious is that took up essentially all of that drop. You know, I think how at least the Catholic Church has responded to that is is by saying, okay, look, the community that comes along with religion, here are the important things that we believe and why we believe them, and leading with kind of, hey, this is the teaching, which is super important. But I think the thing that, and actually one of the big things I've learned from Silicon Valley is, you know, when you have folks who stop using the app, there is an important question to ask them that is, uh, you know, why'd you stop leaving? Most people are going to say, well, I couldn't find the time for it. Or, you know, I, I forgot about it or any of that jazz. The, the more helpful question is go to the people who are staying and say, why are you staying? 
you know, if I go to my church down the street and I walk in at 2 a.m. and there's a woman praying there and you say, hey, why are you here? She's not going to say because of Thomas Aquinas' five proofs. She's going to say, because that's God. I have a relationship with him and this is the place in which I have that relationship. And it's also what people who are falling away are hungry for. So as opposed to like saying, hey, you know, you should be religious too. Why not just say, hey, okay, you're spiritual. We've got this beautiful wealth of spirituality that you should try. There's all these different types of ways to connect with something greater than yourself and something outside yourself and find this sense of peace. I mean, my little sister is uh, in college. She gets maybe 700 notifications to her phone every second from her streaks, her Instagram or Snapchat, whatever it is. And it's just like the appeal of the peace of faith has got to be so strong and is so strong with her, which is like, man, you just, we need a break. You need a little bit of rest. You need a little bit of peace. And God, you know, you don't want to use him as a sleeping pill or de-stressor or any of that stuff, but can bring an enormous amount of peace. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. So that's the big thing that at Hallow, we are fully aligned with the Catholic Church and, and stand behind the Catholic Church and Pope Francis and everything. You know, the bishop's job is to say, hey, here's what we believe. Here's what we're going to do. Our job is not to say, here's all the theological teaching. Our job is just to say, hey, we want you to have a relationship with this guy who we have a relationship with, and it's phenomenal. I would love for you to meet him. Here's a handful of cool tips and tricks or little techniques that you can use to have a conversation with him. And my guess is you're going to talk to the same guy I'm talking to, and he's going to bring you an enormous amount of peace. But just get in the room, shut up, be quiet, and listen to what he's saying, and it'll change your life. And that's the pitch of, of what we're trying to do, at least. That's brilliant. And I actually want to use that to set up the other question that I asked you. So throughout COVID, I think maybe the most poignant and moving experience, and honestly, everyone who knows me, all my friends know that I'm a big crier, so I'm going to try to get through this without crying. But I think one of the most powerful experiences that I had was, you know, so throughout COVID, you know, because of the pandemic, I'm an Orthodox Jew and I'm a rabbi. I just said this on the Mere Fidelity podcast. I'm like one of those religious fanatics they tell you about on TV, like all the crazy things that everybody mocks and dismisses back in the 90s. Like, I believe all those things, right? <laughs> so one of the wonderful things about my life, which I'm very lucky and fortunate to be a part of, is that I'm part of this incredibly thick, deeply traditional observant Jewish community. And of course, human life and safety is paramount. As the Bible says, choose life. So... You know, we made sure not to congregate in our synagogues, and we all had separate prayer groups once that was uh, allowed. You know, so for the longest time, and still today, we're praying outside in a driveway. And I remember back in the winter, thank God I'm very blessed with four kids. My youngest daughter was born, and my grandmother had just passed away from COVID, so we named her after my grandmother. And it was about nine degrees outside. And we have a group of, you know, because again, we have to be careful. We are all social distance, but 20 people outside and we're in the freezing cold and we're about to name my daughter because, you know, in the Jewish tradition, you know, you bestow a name right after we read from the biblical scroll and we're sitting there and everybody's singing and everybody's dancing and shouting for joy. And I just had this incredible moment where I felt like you just said, you know, I could spend years and years and years reading all the theological works that make the case for what I believe. And you could spend years immersed in a study house, which I've done. I've spent, you know, years immersed studying the words of the Talmud, all and the Bible, all important to me. But there's nothing that compares to this moment, nothing that compares to this moment of joy, of relationship. And as you said, of peace and of transcendence and community. I actually have wondered since that moment. 
given the moment that we're in of just incredible technological efflorescence and flourishing, there must be some way to take those deepest, most elemental components of the human experience and build out those things for other people. Now, it's not my specialty, so I don't know how to do it. But you are working on this. Like, you have somehow figured out how to take something deep and wonderful and actually build software to help capture it and grow it and make it bigger and more accessible to people. So how do you approach that challenge? How do you do it? Is it daunting? It must be scary. But how do you do that? How do you think about it? How do you break it down? Well, first off, that's a beautiful story. We'll obviously be oh, thank praying you. for your grandmother's soul. <laughs> thank you. I mean, for us, we're not doing anything crazy. We're not trying to you know, build an AI that does something super fancy or any of that jazz. So what we're trying to do is take the best of both worlds, which is kind of a nice position to be in. Uh, definitely difficult, but the truth is in the Catholic Church, these techniques of prayer have been around for at least hundreds of years, most of the time thousands. And, you know, Lexio Divina, very uh, straightforward how you meditate on scripture. The examine, the Ignatian examine, very straightforward how you meditate on and, and reflect on God's presence in your day. Carmelite spirituality, chant. There's a bunch of stuff that's the content of the church. I think the church does a phenomenal job of preserving content and continuing to create really beautiful content. So on the content side, you know, our job is just to say, hey, you know, we have all this beautiful spiritual content. Let's try to bring it to folks in a way that's approachable. And the big thing for me is, you know, I was a agnostic three, four years ago, and I know what it's like to have somebody come to you and say something that just throws you off completely. Like, hey, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, bend <laughs> down and pray to him. And it's like, well, okay, that's a little bit too much. Like, let's just start with a little bit softer language to bring people into, you know, that same truth that we're ultimately guiding folks to, but try to make it in a way that's approachable, that can relate to folks, especially younger folks, but folks across all age ranges uh, who both take their faith super seriously and folks who, who maybe have fallen away from their faith. So that's the real thing we're trying to do on the content side. On the tech side, I think the big things that uh, we're trying to build a really well-designed app. We have a phenomenal team. So you've got to try to build a really great team of great developers and great designers who really know what they're doing, which luckily is not me. <laughs> and But I think for us, it's you're able to do a handful of things. We're an audio-based platform, which I love in terms of simplicity for a handful of reasons. But the biggest one is, you know, I think the tough part, it really is hard to, and I think people have an aversion to faith-based tech. You know, if you open up a Bible, like a physical Bible, and you meditate on it, there's a different quality to that than like reading the Bible on your phone and trying to meditate on it, just like looking at the screen. And the really nice part about audio is that you can just close your eyes, plug in your headphones, press play, and uh, put the phone across the room. It's just, you know, you and another person there. It sounds the same as if there was another person leading you in prayer in the room. So I think the audio experience is actually a nice way to disconnect from technology while still obviously using technology. And then the big benefits of tech are, you know, you can have a personalized place for everybody, just like churches try to do, but you usually can't do a great job of where, you know, if you try to leave, they say, hey, why are you leaving? What can we do to keep you back? As soon as you join, it's like, hey, welcome, you know, a personalized message, all that stuff. And then, you know, creating community. You know, we have communities of folks from South Africa, from South America, from the United all parts of the United States, from all over the world, connecting together to pray and, you know, sharing reflections and all this stuff. And so being able to bring folks together, especially in the church, which is such a global institution, and being able to grow in your faith life with folks around the world, which just wouldn't have been possible in a pre-tech world, has been really powerful for us. So those are some of the things we're trying to do. But, you know, the, the big thing for us is just 
the content is beautiful. God is obviously life-changing. And the tech and the design and, and the app itself, the technology itself has to be at that same level of quality. Like we, we should take the Sistine Chapel and put it in tech and we should try to aspire to that level. Now that's totally different. It's much simpler design. But when somebody downloads, you know, I, I would talk to friends who would download apps and, you know, young professionals or whatever. And you'd look up an app that was built maybe eight years ago and maybe has beautiful content on it, but it looks like nowhere close to a Netflix or an Amazon or a Spotify app quality. And they just don't download it. Don't give it a fair shot. And it's like, well, no, the app itself has got to be as beautiful and as seamless definitely as the leading Silicon Valley apps, but to match with the content that you're trying to create. So obviously it's hard and we're still very much at the beginning of trying to build quickly and, and test and learn and all, all that fun Silicon Valley stuff. But but that's a little bit of, of what we're trying to do. That's beautiful. And I, I love that. So last question is, where do you want Halo to be in five years? This is always a fun question. This would be a little bit of a roundabout answer. But when you think about visions, there's two different types of visions that I think are really exciting visions. So I'm part of a nonprofit that helps 20 to 30 children in Honduras who are HIV positive, uh, who are orphans in, in Honduras, HIV positive. And it's beautiful because you feel like an extended family for these 20 to 30 kids and you, you know, they go to school and, and you, you try to figure out how to get them into, you know, careers and all that stuff and, and provide for them in a, in a way that, you know, they can still reintegrate with society and their extended families and all that jazz. And so it's beautiful because it's like each kid is obviously of infinite worth. And so you have this connection to this, this individual that is really life-changing. And it's like, man, if we could just do that. And then you have on the other end, kind of like an ultimately micro vision. On the other end, you have, you know, Elon Musk, hey, we're going to make it to Mars. And that's like an ultimately really macro vision, which is really exciting uh, also because it's, it's huge, it's world changing, and it's amazing. I think for us, we have the enormous benefit of having both. We had a person send us a note two weeks ago or so that said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that my friend was passing away, had seven days left to live, had never prayed before in their life, and was too intimidated to pray. And I brought them the hallow out to the hospital. And for the last seven days of their life, we prayed the rosary together using the app. And I just wanted to let you know the impact that that has had on, on folks' lives. And we get a note like that pretty much every other day, which is something that is some way that God has transformed people's lives through this relatively simple tool. And five years from now, if we can do that for one more person, that would be phenomenal. That'd be amazing. Positive ROI. But at the same time, I can't think of a bigger mission than the kingdom of God on earth. And there's nothing more fundamental to that than if everybody woke up every day, was able to listen to God, have a real conversation with God, and then actually did what he wanted them to do. And if we're right, and there is a God who's all loving and asking us to be all loving, that would be the kingdom of God, that there'd be no more war, there'd be no more bad things at all. We'd all be doing God's will, which would be essentially heaven. And so, you know, the macro vision of that is incredibly exciting. And I really do think there's this deep hunger for spirituality and leading with that does have a chance of really turning the tide, at least in the Catholic sense in the West and, and across the world of getting folks excited about faith and, and spirituality again. So there's kind of the, that's, it's not a great answer. We have a bunch of numbers, a bunch of goals and all that stuff about how we reach more folks and, and try to help folks grow closer to God. But those are the things that really get us excited is if we could help one more person and then change the world, kind of both ends of that spectrum. You know, that's why I always get so excited when you think about Silicon Valley. It's always big ideas. We're going to Mars. 
hey, if you want to know who the people are who have been dreaming about, thinking about, and then actually implementing and building big ideas for thousands of years, hey, man, the religions of the Bible, we got this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about a successful startup, 12 guys, and uh, <laughs> you've got the church in the Christian world. But yeah, I mean, I think the grand vision and what gets us so excited about that is obviously rooted deeply in our faith, which is a tremendous blessing to be able to work on. Amazing. Alex, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It was a blast. If society is going to not just survive, but flourish in the coming generation, it's going to need at least two things. Big ideas and communities of people who believe in bringing big ideas to life. So where are those ideas and people coming from? The answer, increasingly, is religion. The Jewish people have been doing it for 3,000 years, and Christians and Muslims have been doing it for centuries upon centuries and well. And guess what? We're really good at it. Thankfully, we're living in a generation where the world of science and technology has finally produced a natural ally for our dynamism and capacity to dream big dreams. And so one of the most critical tasks in the generation to come is going to be for religious and traditional folks, people like Alex, Catherine Boyle, and so many others, to seize the opportunities of an alliance between tech and tradition and bring humanity just a little bit closer to the way it ought to be. Anyway, thank you so much for joining today. And if you like what you heard, then the best thing you can do is give us that five-star ratings and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do, and if you review us, hit me up on Twitter so I can let the world know how awesome you are. All right, that's it for now. This is Ari Lam making a good faith effort. I'll see you next time. Faith Effort was created and written by Ari Lam. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice, because it really helps others find the show. Our executive producer is Josh Cross. The show is produced and edited by Paul Ruest. This is a Joshua Network podcast presented by B'nai Zion. Follow us on Twitter at GFaithEffort. Follow Ari at Ari Lam and sign up for our email list at thejoshuanetwork.com. The Joshua Network is now Soul Shop.